Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Sabbath Services. Today we're going to cover, what do you mean, born again? And we also need to understand, why is it that people can't understand it or believe things about it that are not true? Well, Jesus gave that answer long, long ago. See, there are certain keys to understanding the Word of God. Number one, you've got to believe God and that he is, that Christ is his son. Number two, you have to believe that the Bible is his word, and every word is inspired by God. Number three, that you cannot add or take away from the word of God. If there's something to be changed, God must change it. If there's something to be added, God must add. If there's something to be taken away, God must take away. Now, when people who even know about God come to the Word of God, and in Jesus' day, it was the same thing. So here in Matthew 13, so let's begin here, because the disciples wanted to know, why did he talk to them, that is, the crowds, in parables? And also, even the disciples couldn't really understand the parables fully until after Jesus' resurrection and then the church beginning. So here, Matthew 13. So here's his answer, verse 11. And he answered and said to them, because it has been given. Now mark that word. See. It's not something you can take. It has to be given to you. And what does God reveal? God reveals everything that we need to know. It has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Well, why hasn't it been given? We'll see here in a second. For whosoever has understanding to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance, but whosoever does not have understanding, even what he has shall be taken from him. Okay. So here's the prophecy from Isaiah. And this is true. See? For this reason, I speak to them in parables, because seeing... They see not. Hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. And this happens, even though they have the Bible. And the central key has to be the Sabbath day. We all know that. That is the fulcrum between not knowing and beginning to know. So if we don't keep the Sabbath, we don't know. This is why the Protestants don't understand about born again. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit later. 
But let's come to Isaiah 29, and let's see what God has said here. Let's pick it up in verse 9. So here's an amazing thing. You stop and think about it. There are more Bibles in the world today than ever before. And yet, how many people understand? How many think they understand, but don't understand? And why don't they understand? Okay. So here's what happens. Verse 9. Be stunned and amazed. Blind your eyes and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. Now that's an amazing thing. Just like Jesus said, it's given to us to know. But to them, it hasn't been given. And what has he done? He has poured out a deep sleep. So they don't know. And look at the world today and look at how upside down and backward it is and everything. Okay. For the Lord has poured upon you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes and has covered the prophets. Now notice, a lot of prophets, a lot of religious people, but their minds are covered. Who covers them? Who does God use to do that? And who they, do they follow? Satan. And Satan makes them think that the darkness that they have is light. Okay? And your rulers and the seers, that's everybody who predicts the future. And the vision of all of them has become like words written in a book that is sealed, which is given to one who is learned, saying, please read this. And he says, I cannot, for it's sealed. And a book is given to the one who is not learned, saying, please read this. And he said, well, I'm not learned. Don't bother me, man. Okay. Now, but here's what happened. Here's what happens. Now, remember, during that one football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, one of the players, the young player, had his heart struck, boom. And if you hit the heart just right, it'll stop. And that's what happened to him. Notice what everybody did. Everybody gathered around. They're all praying. You know, they come to God in, in time of difficulty. The stadium was silent. An amazing thing to watch. Question, how many were converted after that? Well, we've got fellowship groups in Ohio so if you're listening, tell me how many came from that game that were watching the Bengals 
that were convinced they needed to turn to God because of what happened to that one football player. And now we've got a big movement going coming out of Kentucky. Thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of young people. They started out as a confessional in a chapel in a small college in Kentucky, and then they started confessing their sins. And then more came and more came, and it then it came from other countries. And what happened? Let's see how many will really come to God. Or is this a repentance because of sorrow? Or is this a repentance because you're repenting of your sins truly and you're coming to God? Time will tell. We will see. Okay. Verse 13. And the Lord said to me, because the people draws near me with their mouths and with their lips honor me, but their worship of me is made up of the traditions of men learned by rote. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. So then he says he's going to do a marvelous work and a wonder which none of them will know. And part of that is understanding why we're here, where we're going, what we're doing. Okay? Now then, I want to call your, your attention to our first publication, that is, the New Testament in its original order. Now, you can see it's pretty thick on itself, and when we had the commentaries and appendices, we had to reduce them down in size, and so part of what was in here we don't have in the Bible. Okay? So... We're going to uh, take care of that with what do you mean born again? What do you mean born of God? So how is God going to do this? Now look at as few here and how many are online and how many others in the other churches of God and you compare that to what's going on in the world. It is truly something. All right? So, Given to us to know. Let's come to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. And let's understand that what has been given to us is so marvelous and so great that we need to understand how we can come to God and stay close to him so that we can attain what God wants us to and that is to literally be born again. Okay. Now, before we get here, why can't the Protestants and Catholics understand what it means to be born again? Hmm? Number one, they don't believe in the resurrection. Have you ever gone to a Protestant funeral and the minister's there and says, well, Grandpa's up there looking down on us now. 
And the little kid says to his mom, Isn't that Grandpa in, in the casket? How can he be in heaven if he's there? See, good question. <laughs> See, that's the number one reason. And the reason they don't do that is the foundation of Sunday keeping and not understanding the paganism that Satan has brought in to that system. Okay? But here's what God has done for it. Remember he said that we would understand. Okay? Let's pick it up here in verse 7. 1 Corinthians 2. Now, we go over this quite often. Why? Because this is so important. See? What's in the Word of God being the Word of God spoken by God who created the heavens and the earth and all that there is and everything that there is on the earth? You know, and think about that every time that you take a bite of food. It came from God. Every time you breathe good air, it came from God. When you breathe bad air, that came from men. <laughs> okay. And the water you drink. Now, think about those poor people in, in New Palestine, Ohio. They can't drink the water. How long will it be polluted with all of those chemical toxins that are there? But everything we have comes from God, and yet the world denies God. And embraces what? Evolution. Okay. And we are told right in the very first chapter of Genesis, what? That God created us in his image and likeness, male and female created he them. Huh. And that stands to this day. All right. Verse 7. Rather, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Mystery to the outsiders, but understanding the mystery because of what God has given so we can understand it. Okay. Even the hidden wisdom which God foreordained before the ages unto our glory, which not one of the rulers of this world has known, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You know, you see everything on the news and all of the experts, and they talk about how to correct this problem and how to correct that problem and how to make things right. But it never, never works. Why? Because they don't understand the problem. The problem is that people have rejected God, they have set aside his word, misinterpreted his word, created religions in the name of Jesus that are not true to the word of God, but claim that it is. Catholics don't. They readily admit that they rename pagan things with a Christian name, and, and that's okay if you do that. Okay, What about if you convert headhunters? Okay, let's go on. But according as it is written, the eye has not seen nor the ear heard, 
neither is entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That's the key. And this is the love of God that we what? Be nice to other people. (laughs) No, that we keep his commandments, right? And the words that Christ speaks, he said are what? They are spirit and life, and they are discerned spiritually. So you need the spirit of God to do it. And God does not give his spirit to those who do not obey him. But, verse 10, God has revealed them to us by his spirit. And that's what's happened in our lives. The spirit of God. And that's what is important for us to understand and to know, especially with all the things going on in the world. God has revealed them to us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men understands the things of a man except by the Spirit of man which is in him? In the same way also, the things of God no man understands except by the Spirit of God. Now notice the competition that is there. Here's a great lesson to learn. There is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which symbolizes the way of man under Satan, the devil. Okay? Now, there's good and there's evil. But here's the lesson. You can't take what looks good over here from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it will end up being the opposite of what you think. And that's what happens with every good program that human beings come up with, right? Look at all the... Look at all of the welfare programs that have been enacted in America and other countries, and what happens? It fails. See? Though, it's good. See? The good from, come from God always works. Okay? That's why Paul said of the commandments of God— They are spiritual, they are holy, they are good and righteous. Okay? We have not received things of the spirit of the world, because that comes from Satan, the devil, but the spirit that is of God, so that we might know the things graciously given to us by God. All right? Now, let's first of all, Let's come to Matthew, the very first chapter. First thing we need to understand is this. There is a difference between begettal and born. Though the same Greek word, ganao, is the base word, it does not have the meaning of born in every sense. So let's read just a couple of verses here to prove a point, okay? 
Verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. Okay, so begettal is the impregnation of the mother's egg by the father's seed. Okay, that is a begettal. And it is spelled entirely different in the Greek. And all the way through here, you can't say, and Isaac born Jacob. That would make no sense because Isaac could not bear. Well, unless he lives in this generation, there are those people who say, you know, the men can have babies. Okay? No, they can't. All right? Now, so let's understand about being begotten. Let's come to 1 Peter, the first chapter. 1 Peter, the first chapter. Now, to be begotten means, in the New Testament, that you receive the Holy Spirit of God in your mind. And it unites with the spirit of man within you. Now then, when that happens, you have been begotten. Because we will see to be born means something entirely different. When you are begotten with the Holy Spirit of God, you are still in the flesh, physically speaking. But you received the Spirit of God. So this is what Peter is talking about here. Verse 2, Who have been chosen according to the predetermined knowledge of God the Father, by sanctification through the Spirit, shows they received the Spirit, okay, unto obedience. Now when you... Go do a, a word study on obey, obeying, obedience, okay? Interesting indeed. And sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, that is the Father, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again. This word in the Greek is spelled in such a way it cannot mean born again. And the same word that is translated into King James a little later on in First Peter, the first chapter here, they translate born again, but it's the same word spelled meaning begotten. Okay? Begotten again. Now, why does he say again? Because there was that instant of time when each one of us were begotten by our father in our mother's womb. Okay. Unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay. So begotten. Let's look at some other things concerning begotten. All right, let's come over to 1 John, the fifth chapter. Okay. Okay. First verse, 
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been begotten by God, and everyone who loves him who begat also loves him who has been begotten by him. And by this standard, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now then, everyone who is begotten by God overcomes the world. So receiving the Holy Spirit of God is a begettal. Okay? It's not a birth. There is a change, but there is not the birth. Okay? And this is the victory that that overcomes the world. Okay? Yes, verse 9. Chapter 3 and verse 9. Okay? Everyone who has been begotten by God does not practice sin because his seed, and the Greek there is sperma, a begettal is dwelling within him. See, And you can't make that mean you're born again because born again has an entirely different meaning as we will see. And he is not able to practice sin because he has been begotten by God. So this means this. Whenever anyone who has been begotten by God as the Spirit of God and commits sin, what happens? Bang! Something happens in your mind that tells you this is sin, right? Okay. How did that happen? By the Spirit of God. Did anything like that happen before you were converted? No. Because everything came naturally, right? (laughs) Of course. See? So you can't practice sin. Now, the Protestants say, if you're born again, you cannot sin. Therefore, you don't have to keep the law. You can forget about the law. See? But what do we just read? You have to keep the commandments of God. All right? Now, that establishes begotten. All right? Let's come here to chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, we should love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been begotten by God and knows God. See? And the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Okay? Verse 9. In this way, the love of God was manifest toward us, And God sent his only begotten son, okay? Only begotten, it goes back to begettal, then he was born, okay? Into the world so that we might live through him, okay? Now, let's come to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and here is where all the controversy centers around.
Now then, concerning the false doctrines of born again, the article that we have in the New Testament, which we will put out in a separate publication, shows that the pagans had different means of what they call born again or born anew, and that generally has to do with infants. And that the Catholics, when they came to America and to Mexico, they saw that the Indians here had a ceremony of born again. And the midwife would come and she would officiate that born again and raise the baby so that he could watch the rising of the sun and then bring him back and wash him and he was born again. Okay. Now how many people know that? How many here? Yeah? Yeah? Didn't know that? Well, I'll get this all printed out. You can read it. Quite an elaborate ceremony that they had. And the Catholics here with the Catholic priest with them, they stood in gawking because it was infant baptism so close to what the Catholic Church does. And here they came all the way from Europe, you know, over to Mexico and to find that the pagans are practicing born again. It's also in the Hindu religion. Okay. So, since they don't believe in the resurrection, then when it talks about born again, you have to explain how you believe it. Okay. But the very context of what we have here disproves any notion that born again has to do with a baptismal conversion experience. And we will see that born again has to do with being changed from flesh to spirit. All right, so let's begin. Now Nicodemus, who was later converted, he came to him by night. He didn't want to be the other Pharisees seeing him, you know, and then he would be castigated by saying, oh, you went and saw that Jesus. What did you go see him for? <laughs> see? No, so he came by night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Quite an interesting statement, isn't it? We know. That is, all the Pharisees and all the scribes, they all knew it. Because no one is able to do the miracles that you do, that you are doing, unless God is with him. Now Jesus answered and said to him, okay? Now Jesus never answered the question. He told him the purpose of life. So let's read it. Jesus answered and said to him, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man be born again, it can also mean anew or from above. Okay. He cannot see the kingdom of God. All right. Whenever anyone comes out of the baptismal water or receive Jesus, now stop and think about this. The prayer that the Protestants have, oh, Jesus, come into my life. Who is the one who is doing the calling? The person, not God. No man can tell God, come into my life. God says, seek me, forsake your ways, your thoughts, and you can come to me. Okay. No one can receive Jesus by saying, oh Lord, I believe that you're my Savior, that you forgave my sins, and I ask you to come into my life. Okay. Then they say, now you're born again. Okay. And you don't have to keep any of the law. That's why Protestantism is failing, and that's why Protestantism and Catholicism is the main problem of why we are where we are the way we are as a nation. Okay? Unless anyone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When they come up out of the watery grave, do they see the kingdom of God? We'll find a little later on, Paul said, flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Are they still flesh coming up out of the baptismal water? Yes. They need to have the Holy Spirit within them, the begettle, through the laying on of hands. Okay. You cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How could a man who is old be born? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? So it's, he was looking to the physical birth. See? When a person is begotten, are you born? No, you haven't even developed yet. Same way with us. When we're begotten with the Holy Spirit, are we ready to enter into the kingdom of God? No, we've got to grow in grace and knowledge and overcome, develop the mind of Christ, correct? All of that. That's why we're here on the Sabbath. That's why we do what we do, see? Okay. So Jesus answered, now this is again, We'll see it right here. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 5, unless anyone has been born of water and of, the, of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean, be born of water? Now, I've got it all right in here on how the Catholics change the wording in the New Testament which carries down to this very day, okay? He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Be born of water and born of spirit, okay? 
Now then, what he does, he actually defines it right here. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh. Now, how were you born when you were born? You were born of water. The amniotic fluid that was in the womb of your mother and you were living in this waterly environment, that water, you were born because of the all the contractions of the muscles and everything like that against the water pushes the baby out. Okay? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Isn't that true? Every baby's flesh, right? Human being, correct? All right. And that which has been born of the spirit is spirit. What does that mean? Well, if you're born of the flesh and that is flesh, that means you're composed of flesh, right? If you're born of the spirit, then you're composed of spirit. Okay? Now, hold your place here and just turn to one page over. John 4, in verse 21, he's speaking to the woman at the well. Okay? Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You do not know what you worship. They thought they were worshiping the Father in Samaria, but they weren't. Who was the one there that they were worshiping? Acts, the eighth chapter, Simon Magus, right? Some great one, the great power of God. All right. You do not know what you worship. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is. When the true worshipers, and you're still in the flesh, right? Shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That means they must have the Spirit of God in them if they're not yet converted with them. And in truth, no other way, you can't bring anything of any man's ideas and attach it to the word of God and say, now this is new doctrine. Okay? We all know where that leads. Okay? In spirit and in truth, for the Father is indeed seeking those who are worshiping him in this manner. Now, verse 24. God is spirit. That means he is a spirit being. Now, tie that together with chapter 3, that which is spirit is spirit. So if you're born of the spirit, you must be a spirit being. And a spirit being has the many, many different powers. Number one, can't be seen by the human eye if it doesn't want to. Okay? So let's come back to chapter 3 and read it here. So here's the key. Verse 6. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh. 
that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Those who are born of the Spirit must be spirit beings. When does that take place for those who are converted? At the resurrection, correct? So, when you're converted, you are begotten. You're not born again. You are to lead a new life now by the Holy Spirit of God and follow Jesus Christ and live by every word of God, correct? Yes. Okay. So that which has been born of the flesh is flesh. That which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, when we get to 1 Corinthians 15, we'll see a whole lot more about it, see? So he went on to explain it even more. Do not be amazed that I said to you it is necessary for you to be born again. Now, necessary means it's absolutely required. Because he said what? Flesh cannot see the kingdom of God. Flesh cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's why if the Protestants have baptism, of course, most of them don't anymore, and they say you're born again, they can't be born again because they're flesh. They're still composed of flesh. But they, hopefully, they may have some form of the Holy Spirit, but I doubt it. Then he explains it. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wills, and you hear its sound, but you don't know the place from which it comes and the place to which it goes. So also is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. And from that time even to this, no one but Jesus had been born of the Spirit. Okay? Now, time for us to take a break, and I don't know where the, the time went, but anyway, we'll take a break and see you in 20. Welcome back. We'll continue on with Sabbath services. And remember how we covered begotten. Now we'll see the whole thing in Jesus' life, which then proves what born again means by his life. Now, first of all, when you read Philippians' second chapter, we find that Jesus emptied himself because he was God in order to become God manifested in the flesh. And so for that to happen, he had to become a pinpoint of life to be gotten in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, let's read about that in Luke, the first chapter, okay? Because this will show that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And all of that 
in the life of Christ. Let's pick it up here in verse 30, Luke, the first chapter. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, because you have found grace with God. For behold, you shall conceive in your womb. Begato brings about conception. Okay? And give birth. Follow that. Give birth, and you shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give him the throne of David his forefather. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob into the ages. So here we have everything. Physical life, being born, and then we will see spiritual life, living forever. All wrapped up right here. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel answered and said, Now listen carefully. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. And for this reason, the Holy One being begotten, begotten, you have to have that first, in the flesh and also in the spirit. You must be begotten with the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, so here it is in the flesh for Jesus. The Holy One being begotten in you shall be called the Son of God. All right, now let's come here to Matthew, the first chapter. And let's see about Jesus. Now then, we will see that this applies to us as we go through this. All right? Now, Matthew, the first chapter, and let's pick it up here in verse 25. But he, that is Joseph, did not have sexual relations with her until after she had given birth to her son. Notice this, the firstborn. Okay? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Jesus became a fleshly human being, but was God manifested in the flesh. The firstborn, and call his name Jesus. Now let's come all the way to the book of Revelation. Let's see something else, and this proves from the life and death and resurrection of Christ that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Because when he was raised from the dead, he was a spirit being again just like he was before he became human. Okay? So let's read it here, beginning in first chapter of Revelation, verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace be to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits that are 
before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, now notice, the firstborn from the dead. Okay? So, was Jesus born once of the flesh? Yes. Firstborn of Mary. Was he born once of the Spirit? Born from the dead? Yes. And he is called what? The firstborn from among the dead. Okay. This shows absolutely conclusively what it means to be born again. Now, let's come back to John, the third chapter, and let's read that again with this knowledge and understanding, and we will see exactly how that fits. And then we will go to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and we will cover the whole chapter. Okay? Let's pick it up here in verse 5. John 3. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless anyone has been born of water, that's your physical birth, not baptism. You are not born when you are, you are baptized. What happens when you are baptized? Okay, we'll read that in just a minute. Okay, but you're not born. Okay. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, verse 6. And that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay? Now we see, see that proved right there in the life of Christ. Okay? Now then, let's come here to Philippians, the third chapter, and we will see this. What happens when we are raised from the dead? And that's when we are born again. Philippians 3, verse 20. But for us, the commonwealth of God exists in the heavens from where, talking about the return of Christ, we also are awaiting for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our vile bodies so that it may be conformed to his glorious body. When is that going to take place? When Jesus returns, see, the dead are raised that they may be conformed to his glorious body according to the inner working of his own power whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. All right? So there we have it, okay? That defines it very clearly. Now then, Let's look at something else in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Because when we die, our human spirit goes back to God. And if we have been converted, which we are, then that spirit of us with our human spirit plus God's spirit combined goes back to God to be waiting the resurrection. Now we find this in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, okay? Verse 22, Hebrews 12. 
but you have come to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Every time we pray, this is what we're coming to. God is there on his throne. Christ is on his right hand. 24 elders circle the throne. The rainbow circles the whole throne. And all of the singing and everything that goes on there, that's quite a sight. We get a little glimpse to it in Revelation 4 and 5. Okay. To the joyous festival gathering, verse 23, and to the church of the firstborn, okay, we haven't yet been born, but we've been begotten, and then our spirit is stored wherever God stores all the spirits of those who have been perfected until the resurrection, okay? Church of the firstborn. Same word applying to Christ, firstborn. So the whole church and all of those in the first resurrection will be of mankind, the firstborn from the dead. All collective. Okay? But right now, registered in the book of life in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the just who have been perfected. So, now how the resurrection's going to occur? Don't know. But we know that it will. All right? So there we have it. Now let's come to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. So this is called the resurrection chapter. Now it's quite interesting that in the first part of of 1 Corinthians 15, that Paul corrects them because some of them were not believing in the resurrection. And we find in 1 Timothy, the first chapter, there were those saying that the resurrection is already past. So what was occurring in the church even before the apostle John died? Strange doctrine. Here, this was before Paul died, okay? So, he wants to clarify everything for them. So he says, in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. Now, that's quite a, a humble attitude for Paul to have. A little later on in Ephesians, the third chapter, he says, He's less than the least of the saints. So everything that Paul went through humbled him beyond understanding. Okay? Least of the apostles, and I'm not fit to even be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. Rather, I have labored more abundantly than all of them. However, it was not I, but the grace of God with me. And that's what it has to be with us. In order for us to grow in grace and knowledge, it has to be God with us. And we do that through prayer. We do that through study. We do that through living. And turn off the cell phone 
turn off the computer and meditate. See? Think on the word of God. Think on the way of God. Think on what God is doing. Okay? That'll help you grow in grace and knowledge. Now, verse 11. Now then, whether I or they, we preach, and so you have believed. But if Christ is being preached that he rose from the dead, how is it that some among you are saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? That's the whole key focal point of what the new covenant is about. It can't be about anything else. Okay. Notice he says, verse 13, For if there is no resurrection from the dead, neither has Christ been raised. But he was. He was the firstborn of the dead. Also says that in Colossians, the first chapter. The firstborn from among the dead. Now, there were three resurrections to back to physical life that Jesus did during his ministry. But they subsequently all died a natural death. Okay. Christ was raised from the dead, appeared to the apostles, and showed himself for 40 days and 40 nights, and was seen, as he says here in 1 Corinthians 15, by over 500 brethren at one time. So there was a lot going on during that 40 days. Now, verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. See? Now, what does that say about those who preach going to heaven? Their faith is in vain. And we are also found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified that God has raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if indeed the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, neither has Christ been raised. But if Christ has not been raised, your faith is vain and you're still in your sins. Now that really an all-encompassing statement, see? And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have then perished. Then he says, if in this life we have hope in Christ, we are above all people most miserable. But now Christ has been raised from the dead and has become the firstfruit. So we have firstborn in the flesh, firstborn in the spirit, first fruit of the resurrection, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam we all die. So he's explaining great understanding of what the whole situation with human beings really is. Why we're sinful, why we go through the things we go through. See? For as in Adam, all die. So also in Christ 
shall all be made alive. Now you have to ask the question, when? And most of the world does not know when. Why? Because they believe in going to heaven. See? And if you ever go to a funeral where they talk about this person is in heaven, and then they read the scriptures about the resurrection, it's completely disjointed and makes no sense. All right? Now notice this next verse, verse 23. But each in his own order. What is that? That's the whole plan of God, right? Yes. What is the order? Number one, Christ, the first fruit. Okay. Then, as we read in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the spirit of those who have been perfected has been stored with God right there in heaven above. No consciousness, because they have to have a spirit body and a spirit mind for that spirit to be able to be activated as a spirit being. Okay? But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruit, then those who are Christ at his coming. Not before. Afterwards, the end comes. Okay? Now, comes from the Christ returning to the earth, and the next statement takes it all the way through the thousand-year period, and the rest of the dead being resurrected, Revelation, the 20th chapter, and the whole plan of God being completed. So there's a lot missing between verse 23 and verse 24. And afterwards the end comes when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to him who is God and Father, when he shall have put an end to all rule and all authority and all power. Now that Starts when? Revelation 21. The new heaven, the new earth. See? That's why we need the book of Revelation to fill in the gaps. Verse 23. For it is ordained that he reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that is destroyed is death. And that's Second death, when all the wicked are destroyed, and the whole earth, as Peter writes in Second Peter, the third chapter, is going to be enveloped in fire and flame, and all the elements are going to melt. And that's how God is preparing the earth for the new earth. Okay, So that it, when the full kingdom of God comes, with New Jerusalem, all the saints, everybody who's in the kingdom of God at that time, there will be no more sin. There will be righteousness. There will be everything that God wants us to be and to have. And then we're, he's going to share eternity with us. What is it that God is going to do? 
He hasn't told us. I don't think we can handle it. We have to be spirit beings in order to understand it. It's all we can do to understand what the Word of God is right now. Okay? Now, verse 27, For he has put all things and subjected under his feet, and when it is said that all things have been put in subjection, it is clearly evident that it does not include him who put all things in subjection under him. But when he has put all things in subjection to him, then shall the Son himself also be subject to him who put all things in subjection to him, so that God may be all in all. And that includes the whole family of God. Okay, So Paul gives this whole summary. So actually what Paul is doing right here is laying out the whole plan of God in different segments. And just like everything else in the Bible, you need other parts of the Bible to interpret how it's put together. Now, verse 29. Otherwise, what shall they do who have been baptized for the resurrection of the dead? And that's what we are baptized for, okay? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for the resurrection of the dead? Now, the Mormons interpret this, that other people are baptized for other people who are already dead so that they can be in heaven too. And they've baptized how many presidents? Someone else, they call that pseudo-baptism. I remember when I was in Salt Lake City, I was talking with a woman who left the Mormon church because of, of knowing the truth of God and knowing that all of those baptisms for the dead were not actually real. And she said, she came one day and some of the others who were supposed to come to be baptized for the list of all of these people that have already died. And she was baptized 200 times that one day. <laughs> okay. And she said, I felt so waterlogged. It was incredible. So that's not the way to do it. Baptism is for each one individually upon repentance. Okay. Verse 35. Nevertheless, some will say, how are the dead raised? And we all, all ask that question, right? With what body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that shall be. Rather, it is bare grain. It may be of wheat and one of the other grains, and God has given a body according to his will, each one, okay, and the seed, and it follows right after it. If it's wheat, it's wheat. If it's barley, it's barley, whatever. So he makes that clear. Then he also says, verse 39, Likewise, not all flesh is the same flesh. Rather, there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beast, another flesh of fish, another flesh of birds, and 
There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is different, and the glory of the earthly is different. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs one from another. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So he's showing that the resurrection is a whole fantastic, marvelous, powerful thing that's going to take place. And the first resurrection will be for all of those of us who are in the church of the firstborn. And at that time, all will be born again at the same time. Okay? So he goes on to explain it. It is shown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, natural means a fleshly body. Okay? Spiritual body means a body composed of spirit. Just like Jesus said, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Just like that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So that's what he's explaining here. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. Accordingly, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became an ever-living spirit. And that's referring to Christ. However, the spirit was not first. Now, the Mormons say, we're all spirits up in heaven. And that God sends the spirit to be with every newborn baby. Okay? That means the spirit is first. Then the flesh. But God says, the flesh first, then the spirit. However, the spirit was not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man is of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as is the one of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly, so are all those who are heavenly. So that's going to be quite a thing, to have a spirit mind, a spirit body, and have the capacity to do many, many things that we have no idea of what it is going to be, see? But we know this, that we're going to rule and reign with Christ, with the kingdom of God on the earth, to then expand the whole plan of God. So there will be many born into the kingdom of God during the millennium. And we're going to be the ones under Christ to make that happen.
That's why we go through everything that we go through now, so that we can understand, number one, ourselves, we can understand human nature as God understands human nature, and we can be able to grow and overcome. And what are we going to teach these people in the millennium? And then how about the great white throne judgment, which is going to be part of the the greatest part of God's plan? Okay. All right, let's go on. Then he says, down here in verse 49, As we have borne the image of the one made of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly one. Now this I say, brethren, and this goes right back to what Jesus said back in John 3, okay? That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't see it, you can't enter into it, and you can't inherit it if you're flesh. So that means no one today has been born again except Christ. No one. Now, even some churches of God believe the Protestant doctrine of born again. Now, why do they do that? I have no idea. But is it, I can have a supposition on it. Are they trying to appeal to those who believe that conversion is being born again so they will come and join them? I have no idea. Okay? But he makes it very clear. Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now where did we start? Jesus said what? It's given to you, that is the disciples, and that means us, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to the world it's not known. And we're going to live in a time when we will see the great deception come upon this whole world. And the whole world follow the beast and follow the false prophet and follow all of their minions. Okay? We shall not all fall asleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, That's the seventh trumpet, right? That's when the resurrection takes place. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, what? From flesh to spirit. And because everyone who has been buried... They have no flesh. It's all gone. But everything that they were have been preserved on the spirit of man and the spirit of God, which God stores for the resurrection. Okay? Now that's going to be something. Going to startle the world. And I think when the resurrection takes place, and of course... We know there's going to be that great vast sea of glass, which the 
resurrected saints are going to be taken by the angels to be up there on the sea of glass, the whole world is going to think that the invasion of, of the aliens is taking place. Look at how the whole world is being programmed to believe that now. See, In such a way, they never believed it before. But look at it today in the world that we're living in. They have whole programs devoted to the aliens among us. And I'm sure you've seen it. I watch it every once in a while. And they're all convinced. See? Now, so when the resurrection takes place and the dead are being raised by the angels to be taken to the sea of glass, they're going to look at that and say, Woo! The aliens from outer space have come to conquer the world. That's how the beast and the false prophet are going to get all the nations to come and fight Christ. Right? So here we have it. Verse 53. For this corruption must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. We don't have it in us now. When we die, boom, we're dead. Last breath. Okay. When we're raised from the dead, boom, we're spirit beings. Now, when this corruption shall have put on incorruptibility, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And that's when. Revelation 20, and then 21. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Now, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But be thanks to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So being born again, has not happened to anyone except Jesus Christ. Born of the flesh, born of the spirit, first born from among the dead. Then all of those who are Christ, all of us, and then all the saints down through time, going, going all the way back to Abel. And what a thing it's going to be when that first resurrection takes place, and that great sea of glass is up there in the clouds, and the world is going to be completely startled as to what is happening, because all of the saints will be born again at the same time. So that's what it means to be born again, and that's what we look forward to, and that's why we're here. So, 
We'll see you next time. And thank you for coming online and being with us. And we hope that it was a good Sabbath for you.